everyone, welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. This is the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, and joined, welcoming back after his week off, Rob Dunham. I do actually exist. <laughs> yes, he does. So, so funny story, if I may. Um, yes. I had gone to watch Dune with Ryan and a couple of friends. And I arrived late because I was coming from work. Couldn't find them. Ended up sitting at the end of a row when they were in the middle somewhere. Ryan told me. And uh, I I had to work at 7 o'clock the next morning. And the show started at 9 something. And so it was like after 11. And I think there was almost half of the movie left. And I still had to drive 45 minutes home to York. And I was just like, if I don't go home and sleep now, I'm going to get about three or four hours of sleep. And that will be bad. So I unfortunately had to duck out and I was very disappointed because I was really enjoying the movie. Um, it was my first time in IMAX in quite a while. But uh, I, we'll talk more about it later. But I, I was impressed by what I saw in the first half of Dune. Call yourself a movie podcaster. I know. It's ridiculous. <laughs> How dare I want adequate rest. I know. Sacrifice your sleep. Man. Come on. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny as, as a Braves fan, I'm enjoying the fact that they're in the world series, but I, I follow some Braves podcasts and these guys are like recording post game and these games are not ending until like midnight or after. Yeah. And then they're coming around doing like an hour podcast. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Podcasting, not for the faint of heart. <laughs> <laughs> or those who need sleep. apparently. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to cover box office. We're going to get into a little bit of a Dune review. Uh, we did throw in our instant reaction last week. And as stated earlier, Rob hasn't seen the whole movie yet. So we'll have to save some of those for later. Um, we'll talk about what's coming up. We'll give you an update on um something that's going on on the set of rust after that tragedy and we'll talk about our watch list all right rob so let's get to the box office results the big release last week was of course dune and dune indeed topped the box office with 41 million uh and this is an interesting number in that it's not it's not the number for Black Widow. It's not the number for Venom. It's not even the number for Bond. However, it is a record for Warner Brothers during the pandemic uh, since they've debuted their simultaneous release on HBO Max and streaming model. So this is their biggest release uh, since the debut of that model, which is saying something. Um, so that came out at 41 million. Halloween Kills at 14.5 million was second. That was a pretty big drop off for Halloween Kills. Uh, but even so, it still uh, made over 70 million in two weeks on a $20 million budget domestically. So that's uh, pretty fantastic. No Time to Die takes third at 12.2 million. Venom 2 hanging in there at 9.3. And another movie that debuted last week, Ron's Gone Wrong, the, uh, the kids animated cartoon uh, at 7.3 million in its debut. Uh, so Rob, what do you make of the Dune box office results? Um, I think that it's probably about the best I was hoping for. Mm -hmm. um, I really wondered with it being on HBO Max too, if it would even get to the Godzilla versus Kong yeah. numbers. And I was wondering what would be enough to make them decide that a second one would be worth it. And mm -hmm. I was really worried about that because I knew going into it that it wasn't telling the whole story, that there would be 
there would need to be more because uh, Dennis Villanueva said himself that was the case. Yeah. And he kind of came out and I guess he, if, if you want to look for a biblical reference here, he put out the fleece blanket for Warner Brothers. And <laughs> <laughs> was like, I really hope this movie does well enough so that I'm allowed to do another one. And uh, I was really wondering what that number was going to be. And um, I do think we'll probably, if past experiences, any indication, see a pretty significant drop off between the first and second weeks. Because that's what's happened with the movies that are available for streaming, too, because people go to the theater to watch them and then tell their friends and their friends watch it at home. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like, so I wouldn't be at all surprised if Dune had a pretty steep drop off. Um, but it apparently did do well enough to impress the studio. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the key for this movie always was, will it do well enough to get the second one? It is a little bit unusual for a film to intentionally be basically half a story without the guarantee of the second half. That's pretty unusual. Um, usually with big movies like this, they'll have a couple picture deal where they say, okay, we'll make this. Or it's, or it's let's say like um, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia where it's a series, but each individual story is its own, can stand on its own to a degree. Um, that is not the case with Dune. You know, it's half a movie, <laughs> and that's that's intentional. And and he, we knew that going in. And so that was always the question with the box office results: is is it going to be enough to make? And and apparently it was. Um, I think, yeah, I, I didn't know what to make of this because, you know, I think the that model has obviously outlived its usefulness based on what we've seen. Uh, but I thought it was pleased. I mean, gauging by anecdotal interest, there was significant amount of interest in this movie um, based on both theater attendance and just in general conversations. A lot of people were interested in what this movie had to offer. But that streaming option definitely prevented people from from going to the theaters. Yeah. Uh, Anything else stick out for you from any of the other box officers? I mean, you mentioned it briefly, but obviously the performance of Halloween Kills is impressive. Anytime you can more than triple your yeah. budget in two weeks by what you make at the box office, that's something to be excited about. And I think we've seen horror movies in general, if they're done by a like competent studio, it seems to be what's happening now because like they almost always don't require a huge budget. Yeah. And they they always they have a built-in audience. Yeah. That genre has a built-in audience where there are people who are just going to go because it's Halloween. Like yeah. it doesn't matter if they hear it's good or not, they're just going to go. Yeah. And I I think that that is continued in the second week. Obviously a significant drop off but still like like we said 70 million dollars on 20 million budget is impressive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it has made, what was it over 180 million or is it, mm. what was the international? It was, uh, it's 20, 220 million overall, Wow, 180 million internationally so far. Cause it wow. did come out a little early internationally. Uh, so it's more than made back its budget already in, in, in the early part of its release. So I think that's also a big key to, to, um, allowing it to do, um, allowing it to do its, uh, to get a sequel and and to be successful, um, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see if it continues to have the drop off, um, or since um, 
spoiler alert, it's a good movie <laughs> that, <laughs> that, uh, that more people will want to watch it in theaters. It is a movie that lends itself very, very yeah. well to the theaters. You, having only the- even seen the first half of Dune, I would say if you have a chance to see it in theaters, go see it beyond even further. If you have the chance and means to see it in IMAX, do it. This is one that is worth the IMAX without yeah. a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I started rewatching a little bit on HBO Max and it was not the same experience. Let me tell you, yeah. you need you need the large scale visuals on this one. All right. So that runs us right into the next part, which is that Dune 2 is officially announced. Uh, so shortly after the release of Dune in theaters, uh, um, the studio and now Legendary announced that Dune 2 is happening. It's happening, and it's confirmed for an October uh, 2023 release. And this is great news. This is excellent news in terms of the film. And um, Villanueva was definitely essentially like, "Come on, guys, <laughs> you know, give us the give us the sequel. Let us do this. Let us do this the right way." Um, so, what do you make of? of the fact that the studio uh, immediately came out and said, hey, there will be a second. I'm very excited about it. And I think it shows that they maybe had a little more belief in this than some people might have thought because 40 million is not like a massive number. So they must have been impressed enough by that. And by, I'm sure they, they they don't necessarily release this information, but I'm sure they have in-house metrics that inform them of, like how much HBO Max subscriber base improved based on this release somehow. I'm sure they have some algorithm that helps them determine that and figure out that number. So they must have looked at both of those things and decided that it was worth it to go with the second movie. So I'm definitely pleased with that decision. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, The only downside with this is um, when you do a part one and part two, they're usually filmed together. And so you get one like the next year. And so you don't feel like you have to wait as long for the resumption of the story. But this one, since they're just now confirming, it means we got to wait two years. And that's, uh, that's a little bit of a, of a downer on that front. Um, but we wanted to do them to do it right. And that's great. Uh, so I'm glad that they're going to at least be able to get to tell the end of the first book, uh, which which is massive. All right. Uh, so that's last week's box office. For this week's box office, we have um, three releases. We have Last Night in Soho, Antlers, and My Hero Academia, World Heroes Mission. Uh, so those are our three releases. Uh, Last Night in Soho is an interesting film. It's kind of a psychological thriller um, about a woman who is kind of in her dreams, journeying back and seeing uh, something that happened in 1960s London and then kind of playing it out in, in modern times as well. It's it's a really interesting uh film from a psychological standpoint um it's a murder mystery kind of a thriller um how much will they get into the horror aspect we'll see um antlers is is a horror movie it's an 
in an isolated Oregon town, a middle-aged teacher and her sheriff brother become embroiled with her enigmatic student whose dark secrets lead to terrifying encounters with a, with a legendary ancestral creature who came before them. Uh, so this stars Carrie Russell, Jesse Plemons, uh, and others. And that is a straight horror movie. Um, My Hero Academia um, is a continuation of, I, I believe this is anime, if I'm not, mm-hmm. yep. if I'm not mistaken. It's a continuation. I think it's the third, third or fourth um, iteration of, of this series. There's been several other um, My Hero Academia movies. And this is the plot of when a cult terrorist ruins a city by releasing a toxin that causes people's ability to spiral out of control. Japanese great, Japan's greatest heroes spread around the world in an attempt to track down the mastermind and put him to justice. So those are your three releases. Uh, Rob, what are your thoughts and which one intrigues you the most? Well, I can tell you that we haven't really talked about it on the podcast at this point, but um, last night in Soho is a movie I've had my eye on for probably about six months. I've been mm-hmm. very excited about this movie from the first time I saw a trailer for it. And it's been playing as a trailer before the horror movies that I've gone to. So I expect it to kind of veer off into that area a little bit. Um, I do think it's mainly going to be, like you said, psychological thriller territory, which is one of my favorite genres. Yeah. But I do think there will definitely be some horror aspects just because of the movies I've seen the trailer play in front of. Um, and I really like, I really also am excited to see Matt Smith, who's in this movie, who was uh, one of the guys who was Dr. Who. And I thought he was great as that. And looks like he's going to be playing a bad guy in this movie and looks like it'll be an interesting character for him. So I'm excited to see the movie excited about who's in it. And um, I've Edgar Wright is directing this one. Correct. And Yes, that is correct. I, I really like him too. He's the person behind uh, the Simon Pegg Cornetto trilogy, um, The World's End, Shaun of the Dead, and what's the other one? I don't remember, but <laughs> <laughs> the three movies that uh, Sean, uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost did together. Um, so I really like him. And he did Edgar Wright. He also did Baby Driver. I think so. I think that's correct. Um, so I, I really enjoy yes, he his, did driver. Yeah, I enjoy his directing style. And so I'm excited to reverse the world as well. Yep. Uh, well, that obviously, indeed. Obviously. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what what this does. It looks very visually um, impressive. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, there's the visuals are very stunning in this particular film. Um, I'm intrigued with it. Uh, for me, it's going to go along the lines of how much it delves into horror. The more it delves into horror, the less interested I am in it. And you're right in that the way they're setting it up, it does lead you to believe that it will head in that direction. Um, if it sticks along mostly a psychological thriller thing, I think there's real, real chance I'm going to really like this movie. Um, but if it goes too much into horror, I think I'm just going to be slightly disappointed in it. Um, but we'll see. Uh, I will probably go see this one. Um, the other thing that's interesting about this one is it's it stars two real up and coming female actresses uh, who are really starting to make a name for themselves in Thomas and McKenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy. 
they're getting, both of them are getting a number of films in the recent year or two. And, and their stock is rising, I would say, in terms of uh, the next generation of, of female stars. So that will be interesting to see them together. And yeah, I think the vibe I get from the trailers and what I've seen about the movie uh, makes me think it might be similar to like a Guillermo del Toro type movie, like yeah. Crimson Peak, if you've seen that or if um, so, it's kind of it's like mainly psychological thriller, but then with some horror elements in it, it's not a straight horror yeah. movie. That's kind of the feeling I'm getting from what I've seen of this movie so far. Okay. Well, let's uh, move on from that one. Uh, so there's lots of stuff to go out and see in theaters. Make sure you do that. I uh, just want to hit, the, hit on this real briefly, an update on Rust. I had talked about it on last week's podcast because of the tragedy that happened on the set there with uh, Alec Baldwin uh, accidentally shooting and killing the cinematographer and wounding the director of the film um, with a live round and a prop gun uh, was... Uh, just taking place. Uh, so I'm going to link to, in the show notes, I'm going to link to an interesting thread from Greg Ellis, who kind of did a breakdown of kind of based on a lot of the stuff and information that's coming out, kind of all the failings of what happened um, along these lines. And, and Rob, this is a story you're just getting caught up with. What did you mm-hmm. think you initially heard about it? Well, first of all, my reaction was, oh, wow, like, I, so I didn't know what the tragedy was. So when I start reading the thread, I'm reading like this is breaking down the rust tragedy. And then they're going and going, I'm like, oh, so this wasn't somebody who just like got hurt. Yeah. <laughs> like somebody died. And then I kept reading and reading. And then I looked it up further on Google and realized it was Alec Baldwin. I didn't realize that at first. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of a absolutely insane story. Yeah. And the thread really lays out how, it was a whole bunch of negligence by a whole bunch of people mm-hmm. that led to this. And a lot of people overworking themselves, being overexerted and tired and not focused on safety, which, you know, I'm assuming like Alec Baldwin has probably picked up like dozens of prop guns in his life and probably had no concept whatsoever that it was live. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, pretty hard to imagine this kind of thing happening mm-hmm. with all the protocols that are in place, but it looks like they just didn't follow them. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest takeaway is there are a lot of safety protocols in place to prevent this from happening. And so to see something like this happen immediately, what you have to think of is that this is an entire series of things with a bunch of people all making poor decisions that stacked up on top of each other, that allowed this situation to occur. And the thread goes into some detail where it talks about um, bad conditions on the set, um, poor relationships between the workers and the crew, um, an inexperienced armor, a assistant director who was making bad choices. Um, you know, the armor then doesn't show up on set. More bad choices from the assistant director. Baldwin himself not not um, doing everything. So like at any one point, if one of these things had not happened, this would not have occurred. So it's, it's one of those classic tragedies where it's like nine things have to go wrong for this to happen. And unfortunately in this case, nine things did go wrong. 
And uh, I know there's going to be a lot of calls for like, okay, we got to change a whole bunch of stuff. Um, reading that, that's not the impression I get is that there's needs to be sweeping changes. The sweeping changes need to be, you just need to do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I think like, I, to me, that's what I take away from it is, is the protocols are there for a reason. And what just needs to be happens is just need to be enforced in a better direction. Yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's hard to imagine something like this happening in modern filmmaking, but here we are. Yeah. All right, so we'll leave that for now as uh, the story is still unfolding. And we'll move to a brief discussion on, on Dune, our initial, our impressions of the film. And uh, we won't go into too much spoilers because as we said earlier, Rob has not seen the entire film. Um, so Rob, give, give your initial impressions based on what you saw. What did you, we haven't had a chance to talk to you about what your thoughts on, on yeah. so far. So just from like the very beginning of the movie, I was, and I felt like I would feel this way having seen the trailers. I was just really impressed by the scope mm -hmm. of the movie, how vast the world feels, how, um, how enormous the universe feels that they're working on and, I really also appreciated the sound design. I thought it was phenomenal. There's just some of the characters speaking a certain way and the way they recorded it and mixed it really gives you that feeling of something ethereal or otherworldly about the powers that these people have. Mm -hmm. And it was, for, I, especially in IMAX with the huge speakers, it was, it was uh, pretty profound, I thought, um, of an effect. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the best word to describe it is epic, profound. The scale is huge. The scale is amazing. And that's that's one of the things that I think uh, Dennis Villanueva does really, really well is he creates that that scale and that that epic feel um, without it feeling rushed. And that's one of the things that stuck out to me in this, because this is a huge book. It's highly complicated. There are lots of interweaving storylines all over the place and lots of detail. How would he be able to do that without feeling like he's cramming everything in there? And it seemed like he did a really, really good job of telling what he could tell visually as much as possible. Um, on top of that, I thought all of the characters stood out in a major way, which is a testament both to the to the adaption of the book and towards the acting itself. What did you think about the acting as far as you saw? Yeah, so far I only saw about the first half of the movie, but I thought that the acting performances felt sincere, which I think when you're doing a huge fantasy epic, that can be one of the hardest things mm -hmm. to pull off. And I think more than anything, it's probably why the Lord of the Rings is still so good, like so many years later. Yeah. Because it seemed like everyone who was in it was fully committed to their role and took it seriously. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was uh, like a worthwhile endeavor for them. And I feel like that's how the people who are in Dune approached it, too. Yeah. One thing that came out um, as I was talking to people who've seen it, people who are not familiar with the story in any way, shape or form. One of the things that, that came out, um, I was talking to uh, someone who listens to the podcast, actually, and, 
And he was saying he watched it and then wasn't sure he caught the story and then did one of those YouTube videos where like, hey, this story is in Dune explained or whatever. And he's like, okay, no, I did get it. <laughs> it's just, it's so, you feel that it's so big of a story. You're like, am I really getting? But you are. And that's, that's a testament to his directing. Okay. Um, so that's, uh, we'll just leave it there for now and we'll come back and we'll, we'll maybe review it a little bit more uh, once Rob finishes it. Uh, but it's absolutely worth seeing. Go see it in theaters. As we said earlier, it is part one of part two. So do not expect that you're going to tell a complete story through this movie, but it's absolutely worth getting invested in. All right. So let, we'll close out with our watch list here. Movies that we watched over the last week. And we'll have to keep it relatively quick. I've only got a few minutes left. Uh, but Rob, what did you see last week? I watched Snake Eyes, which is a G.I. Joe movie. Although there, the G.I. Joe part of it is about the last minute of the movie. You wouldn't know unless you knew what Snake Eyes was, <laughs> that it was a G.I. Joe movie. But um, it does a good job of setting up Snake Eyes and um, counteracted by Cobra, which is the main enemy in G.I. Joe. And I, I liked it for what it was. I think it's a really good origin story. Not the most amazing movie ever by any stretch, but it's definitely better than some of the other G.I. Joe movies that have come out. I'm looking at you, The Rock. <laughs> very nice very nice yeah i still haven't gotten to see that one so i'm looking forward to trying to get there uh for me i saw the last duel i got a chance to finally see it uh very interesting movie very very interesting movie um the things the things that stood out to me is this is a story about the fallacy of memory and about how our perspective differs. Uh, the story is basically told, they tell pretty much the entire story three times from each person's perspective, each of the three main characters' perspective. And what you see in that is they really draw out the idea that um, how you remember a, how you remember the story is corrupted by our own failings of memory as well as the tendency we have to flatter our own perspective. Uh, so the one thing that stands out is each of the characters in their telling of the story, they come off better than they do in the other versions, which is, which is something that happens with us in memory all the time, is that we end up rewriting the story a little bit in our minds based on what we thought happened. Uh, so that was the thing that really, really stuck out, really made the story. Um, I, it was very long, and I think it was too long. I think this is where a little more editing, selective editing, and maybe something on the directing could have gone there. By the time you get around to the third telling of the story, you're already very deep into the, into the movie in terms of time. And it did feel like some of the stuff was starting to get repetitive and you're starting to lose momentum on it. Uh, so those are the things that mainly stood out. The acting performances were excellent, as you would expect. And... Um, it was a very interesting historical drama. All right, we'll close out with this. Rob, give me a recommendation. Any recommendation? Hmm. Should have thought about this more. <laughs> um, but I'm going to just go ahead and go off what we talked about and what's coming out this week. I'm going to say go watch Last Night in Soho because I think it'll be worth your time. I think okay. you will enjoy it, and I think it will be pretty and fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say if you have not watched um, 
if you not had a chance to go watch uh, Skyfall anytime recently, go watch Skyfall. Um, I'm, I'm planning on if I ever get a chance to come around and write this. I'm, I'm finally getting ready to wrap up my No Time to Die review, but I'm planning on going and doing a breakdown of some of the best moments of Skyfall. Uh, so watch Skyfall if you haven't had a chance. And check out filmforfans.com and like us, subscribe, and tell your friends about the podcast. Until next time, enjoy the movies.